Again, my name is Pastor Bruce. We're so glad to have you joining us in person or online. We're great, uh, grateful that you've uh, chosen to, to worship today or later in the week, depending on if you're watching it later. Um, it's, it, we're just looking forward to what God might have to say to us, even myself. I, I don't know if you were to watch last week the stream. We showed a video clip about Mother's Day, and uh, so, some of you were here. Some of you may remember it. Um, probably not the best advice that mothers would want, but quite humorous in the way that they approached challenging people to think through um, maybe a little reverse psychology. I had to really laugh when the mother said, okay, now look at the, everyone look at, look, what, what, how did she put it? Um, look like a crazy lunatic while I take the family photo kind of thing. You remember that part of the video where she uh, went to take the photo and everyone, you know, she's encouraging everyone to kind of act crazy because that's not what moms always want to do. Or, you know, the clean house before they go to church or any of those other kinds of things. Wearing the same underwear every day for a week. Um, I know, no, I, I won't go there with that. But uh, <laughs> anyways, so, you know, that, that, it's a little bit of a different way of looking, of challenging and looking at life. Um, my dad used a kind of an out-of-the-box thinking perspective when we were traveling a long trip. I remember when, we, when there was uh, six of us kids and mom and dad and we were traveling in a station wagon from Fort McMurray to Nova Scotia. Um, a long drive, we had a 18-foot uh, travel trailer and a station wagon and we were all piled in there and it, after, you know, day, and it took a month to do it, but it was a long drive. And so as kids, we would get very antsy. I was probably 17, 18 years old at the time, uh, or 17, I think it was my, uh, um, yeah, I think I was 17 at the time. And so my siblings were kind of spaced out down the, down the list. And uh, dad had a creative way of helping us wiggle out the wiggles in our, as we were driving. And so what he said, when every time he stopped for gas, he said, okay, guys, I want, there's the road start walking. When I'm done filling up with gas, I will pick you up. And so my sisters weren't that excited about doing that, so they kind of just sauntered along the side of the road. And uh, my brother and I, we, we kind of took off, and because I was older than my brother, I usually went quite a ways farther down the road than he did. And dad would pick us up one at a time along the road. And that kind of burned off some energy while we were traveling. But there's other creative things, like, uh, like another one, um, another dad had a creative tip on, on giving advice to your kids is, you know, um, giving them choices instead of just saying, okay, I want you to, to, to do the, uh, to clean your room, you could say to them, look, you have a choice. You can either uh, clean your room or you can wash the windows or you can, um, do you want toast, or do you want oatmeal for breakfast? Like, just don't say to them, you know, what do you want to do, um, or just clean your room. You give them choices, and sometimes it's not A or B, and they're going, well, you know, I, I don't want to do A or B. Well, sometimes come up with a C, or sometimes say, if you don't pick one, I will pick it for you. And so there's various ways of doing that, creative ways, that novel ideas about how we need to think, and challenges our thinking, and challenges the thinking of our kids. Even Satan's, I think, used novel ideas when approaching us, or approaching the, the human race. In the Garden of Eden, he said to them, he said, you know, did God really say 
and then went on to, you know, kind of outline what, what the challenge was. And so Adam and Eve are, you know, they're, they're thinking there, now did God really say that? Or let me think back now, what did God really say? And so Satan kind of kind of put twists to truth. He'll present a truth and then put a half twist into it. Because he wants us to think differently. So many times, um, I start thinking through a problem, and I need to think outside of the box. I need to think of it differently. And um, I went through a, a class, a seminary class, a number of years ago, and it was on innovative thinking. And one of the books they had us read was, um, I can't remember what the name of the book was now, but the, they, along with the book came this set of what's called Whack Pack, Creative Whack Pack. And it's, it's, how to, it's all these different cards on how to think creatively outside the box. Now, I, haven't, I actually haven't actually often opened the box up. A couple of times I've opened it up. But most of the time when I, need, when I have to solve something differently, I just think of this box and I'm going, okay, now I've got to think totally outside of the box because there's always another way of doing it than the way I've always thought about doing it. And uh, I remember a movie I watched one time, and I won't go and tell you about the movie, but the movie was that way, was a, was a lawyer was challenged to think differently outside the box in how he could defend a guilty person. And incredible movie, but it was a great way of thinking outside of the box. Jesus was always thinking outside of the box. He's always challenging us to think outside of the normal boxes in which we live our, our daily lives. So as we look at the book of Philippians and 1 Peter, we see this whole struggle with looking at life. How, how does life present itself to us? How do we look at it? Are we looking at life accurately? Are we looking through the right kind of lens? Or, or has somehow Satan twisted the way we're supposed to look at life as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden and got them sidetracked? I'm going ha- I'm, I'm to ask uh, Thomas to put five or four words up on the screen. And, uh, there's f- and I want you to think of these four words. And how would you normally pair these four words together? The words are pleasure and suffering, life and death. Just think about those four words. Pleasure, suffering, life and death. Now, if you were to pair those words up together creatively, how would you do that? Most of you would think probably going, okay, this is a trick question, so I'm going to kind of think outside the box already. You guys are already there ahead of me. But normally when you think of those things, how do you usually think that those words are paired up? Usually people pair up the word pleasure to life. Pleasure equals life, and suffering equals death, don't they? Isn't that the way most people would think of it in in our world? They would think pleasure equals life, suffering equals death. But actually, the Bible looks at it differently, in a different way. That pleasure does not equal life, but pleasure equals death. And suffering actually equals life. And you're going, really? Is that that really? Well, if we look at it, the scriptures, there's a number of places that talks about this. And one of those is in 1 Peter 4, the passage we're going to look at today. But at the end of my message, I'm also going to refer to a, a verse where Jesus talks about this as well in a clearer way. But let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse, uh, verses 3 and 4. We're going to read those two verses. 
Peter says this, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idol. They are surprised that you do not join in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. You see, Peter says there, there's a way of thinking that the, you used to live. It was, you know, you used to live in these kinds of ways, but now you live differently. So in other words, you used to live for pleasure, but now you live differently. The world has convinced us that life, that pleasure equals life. Isn't that what we're taught? To, to, to try as hard as we can to remove ourselves from anything that is not pleasurable. Any kind of suffering, any kind of heartache, any kind of discipline, any kind of pain, any kind of suffering. I mean, everything is, if, if we get a headache, we take a pill because we don't want to suffer. Everything is designed in our world to remove suffering from our lives because that is what really life is all about, is about being suffering-free, about being pleasure. And so we live for ourselves. We work, we, we, we do all kinds of thing, things. We, we feel that if we work crazy hours and make tons of money, we can live for ourselves. If we drink ourselves silly or if we party, or if we fool around, or if we go after power or position, or that, that, that thing that will, will satisfy us, any kind of form of pleasure, that is what we, we aim for, because pleasure equals life. Right? Spending money, living outrageously, living for what feels good, wow, that's what living is all about. That is life. Completely life. And so we, 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 we even pick good things, like, like good work ethics. We say, well, you know, we've got to work hard. We pour all our energy into that because it's a good thing. Or we pour all of our energy and all of our focus into our family because we think in that we will have life. Or we pour all of ourselves into all these different aspects and even good things because we think, that if we pour ourselves into these things, somehow we will experience life because they are pleasurable to us. Spending time with family is pleasurable, hopefully. Most, most of the times it is. Um, but that's the whole thing, is we pour ourselves into these things because we think pleasure equals life. And our world says the more, the more you live for pleasure, the better life will be. Every commercial, most commercials, aim for that. They aim for that feeling that you will get something out of this if you use their product, whether it would be a car or whatever. Solomon had lots to say about life and pleasure. In Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, you read through those, it's amazing what, what, what Solomon had to say. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, um, Solomon gets pretty real about this whole thing of living pleasurable lives. Of life equals pleasure. And so I'm going to read those, the first 11 verses out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1. And, and listen it through the lens of what we've been talking about this morning. Solomon writes, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. 
My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. He worked hard. Built things. I built houses for myself. Planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made res- reservoirs to water groves of nourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and made other and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater far by than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eye, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing. Solomon says it was was meaningless. We pour so much energy into all these things only to find out that they're empty at the end of the end of the end of the day. Yet, you know, I know people, and trust me, I've been there. You know, I've kind of said to God, you know, I'd really like to try out having a million dollars just to see what it's like. How, How many of you honestly have ever thought about that? Saying, God, you know, it'd be nice to have a million dollars. You know, because people say that money is, is meaningless and doesn't really give any happiness. But I'd just like to try it out. Right? If we're honest, probably most of us have thought that. Subconsciously, at best. And so people try out all these things. And they're going, well, look, I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to try, I, w- I want to be the boss. I want to be in, uh, in charge of my own company. I want to I do this because this, I think, will, be, will bring me happiness. This will bring life to me. This will bring, you know, and so we think of all these different things. And whether it's drinking or, or drugs or sex or whatever, we find, we say, I just want to try it. I want to see if it's real. I remember when I was growing up outside the medical clinic, mom had us kids outside. It was like minus 20 outside. And mom said to us, on, as we were coming up to the medical clinic, she goes, be careful of the railing. It's metal. Don't lick it. You can guess what happened, right? And I don't remember which of us that did it. I, I'm not sure if it was me. I, I'm kind of thinking it was my brother, but it might have been me. I'll, I'll be honest because it was a long time ago. We licked the railing. And our tongue got stuck to the railing. If I, if I didn't do it that time, there was another time where I did freeze my tongue to something metal. And, and so we're going, no, I just want to try it. And so, and then of course they tell you, don't pull your tongue off of it, right? Don't, don't yank it off. You have to wait and heat it up. You know, incredibly painful experience. You know, I, we did that. And you tell your kids, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the barbecue. Don't touch the thing that's hot. Guess what they do? They touch it. And, and the same thing goes for pleasure and life. We're going, God says, look, you want to go do that? You can go ahead and do it. But you're going to find out that it's meaningless. It's not worth it. That's what Solomon says. I tried it. It got me nowhere. 
pleasure, hard work, amazing creative projects, being the boss over people, it's all meaningless at the end of the day. If that's what you're aiming to get pleasure from, if that's what your life is aimed at, it will fall empty. And I'm sure all of us get tempted by all kinds of things every day. I get tempted by, you know, when I, in my time off, like watching TV or playing a, a game or, you know, reading the news or social media. Those things all have things that tempt me. And, and sometimes I'm going, oh, why did I spend so much time reading the news? It's all depressing and discouraging. Why do I spend so much time playing this or doing that when there's so many more valuable things I could be doing? And yet I, I'm looking for something that will just kind of um, just free me up to do whatever. So I want to challenge you this morning. The first question I have for you is, have you bought into the lie that pleasure is the way to life? In other words, what are you chasing after? What are you chasing after? Have you bought into the lie that work or, or, or some of these other things we've listed are, the, are equal life and that it's worth going after? Just think about it for a moment. Think about it. What are you chasing after? What are you spending your energy on, your focus We often listen to that question and go, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll just skip over it. But I want you to really think about it. Whether you come up with something now or something later, God will often reveal to you something that will, that, yeah, in a way in which he will need to change your heart and mind. He did for me this past week about this. Another thing we see here in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 is that suffering actually brings life. Look at what he says in, in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Hmm, interesting. I started spending some time thinking about that. I, I'm not sure exactly all that Peter was aiming at at that passage, but there is something to that because when Jesus suffered, he suffered to pay for our sins. And somehow when we suffer as well, I'm not talking about beating yourself kind of suffering. But I think it's a part of the self-denial that Peter's talking about there. This whole thing of, because he goes in and talks about pleasure, which we've already talked about. But this whole thing, that, that denying of ourselves the pleasures of life sometimes will bring us greater satisfaction in life. Than, than trying to be satisfied by them. Because oftentimes those things are tied to sin. Pleasures are often tied to sin. Or they can at least become idols that we seek to worship. And so Peter says here, suffering breaks us free from sin. If you go down to verse 13, he says this, but rejoice in as much as you, participants, as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed with his glory, when his glory is revealed. In other words, it's, he says there, when you suffer, there's, you suffer in the way that Christ calls you to suffer, there, there's a joy that comes into your life. 
And I, you know, going, you're, you're saying, okay, I, I know that sounds absolutely crazy. But let's look at how, Paul, uh, how Peter outlines this in verses 8 to 11. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. There's that sin component. When we love people the way God calls us to love people, when we do things for them that we normally wouldn't do, when we suffer because, suffer because in our relationship with them, something changes within us. God changes us. And it covers over sin. Somehow it, it, it impacts the sin in our life. Sometimes the sins that we don't know what to do with. Or that we can't seem to break off. Sometimes, somehow God does that because we are so focused on other people. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Serving people, hospitality, having people over, or using gifts Gifts of administration or gifts of, of encouragement or gifts of mercy or whatever, whatever gifts God has put in your heart. When you use those gifts, God does something inside of us because you're not doing them, you're not using them for selfish gain. You're using them to, to bless other people. And then he goes on to say, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. When we step out and serve and do things, God does something inside of us that lifts us up. And yet, you see, but that's part of suffering. Because when we serve, it takes energy. We expend energy. We expend um, focus. We ex give away time. We, in some cases, we even give, it costs us money. To spend in service of people. And yet he says that the blessing that comes back to us is so much more. And there's more. You look, I encourage you to read through this whole passage because I don't have time to go through the whole passage today. Verses, uh, verse 16, verse 19, there's more in this passage that talks about this whole thing and connects it of, of, of joy and life in the areas of suffering. Doing good for others brings life to us. If someone takes you out for lunch, doesn't that feel good to you who gets to receive the lunch? But the person who buys your lunch also gets blessed through it all. Because they, you get to see the look on their face when you do something. Have you ever done something for somebody anonymously? That, that's awesome. Because you do something for them and then they say, oh yeah, Somebody uh, sent his flowers or somebody dropped a gift by it. I don't know who it was. And, and they were just so touched that somebody would think of them. And you're going, yeah, that was me. But you don't tell them that. It's as tempting as it might be. But you get blessed in that. But guess what? That costs you something. Or when you write a note or send a text to somebody or send them an email blessing them or saying, hey, I was thinking about you today and this verse came to my mind and I thought I'd just, I'd pass it on to you and bless you with it. When we do it, when we do it without expecting a pat on the back or a thank you, guess what? It, it brings life to our very soul. When we do things that people don't expect us to do. 
I'm going to go back and read those verses 8 to 11 again. And I want you to think about that through the lens of, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? What are you asking of me? How am I to suffer, okay? So I'm going to read those verses again, verses 8 to 11. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Not in judgment. He's not talking about those kinds of exhortation there. He's talking about words of encouragement here. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, the context of that is in the midst of this aspect of suffering. Because it costs us something. So the question I'm going to give you, what are you willing to give up to do or sacrifice or suffer, what are you willing to do which will bring blessing for others? And without a pat on the back. What is God calling you to do? One thing this week that you will do for someone else. I'm not asking you to do ten. Jesus may ask you to do ten. I'm just asking you to think of one. One thing. I got my one thing. I hadn't thought about it till just now. So I'm in the same boat as you. So think about it. What is one thing you can do this week that you should do that you, you hadn't thought about before that God's calling you to step out in faith and do? The other part about this passage of, of, of doing this, Peter says here, is because the time is short. 1 Peter 4, 7. In the middle of this passage, he talks about this. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. And you're going, yeah, yeah, you know, I... I've heard that before. Times are short. You know, the end is coming. Jesus is coming back. I remember the time back when I was a teenager when the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. How many, do you, how many of you ever heard of that book? Oh, it, it went through the churches like wildfire. This is back in the 70s. And, uh, you know, it, 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 everybody was like, oh, Jesus is coming back. And the oil crisis and all this kind of stuff was going on. It was huge. And I remember thinking, yeah, Jesus, Jesus could come back. Jesus could come back. And, that, and every, a lot of the churches were caught up with that. There were some movies that came out and, and that, about end times. And, I, you know, everybody was scared. And I remember being scared because they kind of preached fear in those days, a lot of fear. And so there's a lot of fear. We're going, oh, Jesus could come back. And, you know, I, I, you know, and I had all these things I wanted to do. I'm going, oh, I'm never going to get a chance to do it. And then I remember in 1991... Um, when, you know, the, uh, when the, the Americans in, invaded Kuwait and the whole Middle Eastern crisis that was going on there. And I remember, maybe this is it. 
And there was one guy, remember, on the radio. He was, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back. This is all lining up the countries, and he had all this stuff all figured out. And I'm going, well, maybe it is. And so it seems like sometimes we get lulled into believing that Jesus, you know, we've, we've heard it before, many times before, Jesus is going to come back, and yeah, he's not coming back. I remember talking to an old preacher in, in the early 90s, and he was telling me that when he was preaching in, in, the, in the 1940s, he said, he said I, remember, I remember when Israel became a nation. And he goes, it blew my mind. I thought, Jesus is coming back. And here he was almost 50 years later saying, yeah, well, I, Jesus is still coming back. But it's not on my timeline. But Paul, but Peter's saying here, the end of all things is near because I, I am, I am going to return one day. But even if I don't return, none of you know when your time is up. I wish I knew when my time was up, but I don't. I mean, I don't think my mom at the age of 42 thought her time was up when God decided to call her home. But he did. Um, I don't think my brother-in-law knew at the age of 42 that God was going to call him home. But he did. And so you never know how God is going to call you home. Through car accident, through whatever it might be, God is going to, God calls us to be ready and to be doing all that we can to see his kingdom come, to, to, to be a part of what he wants to do. I'm not trying to create fear, but I'm trying to create awareness about that our life, every breath we take, is a result of God's grace upon our lives. Whether we get covid or not, whether we get really sick, whether we're killed in a car accident, or whatever might happen, that's all in God's hands. And, and all God calls us to do is to be obedient and take one step at a time. And just trust Him. And to live in that. And trust that His power is enough. One step. That's what He calls us to do. So I know sometimes we want to look long range. We want to plan long term. But God calls us one step at a time. I remember this crazy story, this, this, this event that happened to me when I was in college. Um, I look back on it and I'm going, I had to be out of my mind when I was thinking this. But anyways, I, 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 went, I was in college, I went down to the, the corner store and I went to pick up some grocery, or pick up some, I don't know what I was buying. And uh, I was in the store and I saw this guy shoplifting. I think he had a package of bacon. He had it kind of shoved in his, in his, in his pants. And, and, I'm, and I, I caught the guy. I said, you're stealing. He goes, yeah, but they don't really know. I said, no, you're stealing. I said, you got to turn in or I'll turn you in. He goes, no, 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 don't do that. And so he put it everything back. And then we ended up with this, and I don't remember the whole thing, but we ended up a conversation about, he kind of asked me, well, why are you telling me? To, like, why are you, like, what are you ratting on me for? Like, what do you care? Well, I'm going, well, Jesus loves you. And we had this conversation about God anyways. I don't remember the whole, how the whole thing went. And then he said to me, he says, look, okay, he says, I'll have a conversation with you about Jesus because I'm kind of interested about that. But just don't tell the guy. I put everything back. I'll, I'll have a conversation. I said, okay. So we left, and we arranged to meet that next Friday night. It was in the wintertime, and it was like 8 o'clock at night, and he lived kind of a, a little farther away from the college. It was kind of a rough neighborhood. I didn't think too much about it then. But as I got closer to that Friday, all of a sudden I had this sneaking suspicion 
that when I showed up at this guy's house, he's going to kill me. Like I said, it is bizarre, right? So, but anyways, and I'm going, so for the whole week, the rest of the week, I'm thinking, this is my last week. And so I was keeping short accounts with God. I was trying to, you know, trying to be connected, you know, as much as I could with people and be honest with people and connected with God and spending all this time with God. Because I thought, Friday night when I go con- confront this guy, about, he wants to know about Jesus. I'm going to go tell him about Jesus. He's going to kill me or somehow I'm going to die. So I went to the guy's door. It was a basement suite. I rang the doorbell. I rang the doorbell. I knocked on the door. Nobody home. He never got to hear about Jesus, and I never died. But you see, the whole thing is I literally thought that that was the end of my life as a college student. But Jesus wants us to live in the moment. He wants us to realize that any point in our day that, we could, that God could call us home. You know, sometimes I forget about the, about the immediacy of Christ's return or the fact that my life could be over and that I have to be doing all that God calls me to do. I don't, I don't want to live in guilt that I'm not doing everything. I just want to live in obedience. Because God's never going to call us to do something more than he's empowered us to do. He's never going to call us to do something outrageous than what he's going to Give us the strength and the wisdom and the gifts to accomplish. Or the time. We don't have to be freaked out by time. We don't have to be freaked out by, by oh, I don't know if I'm going to get it all done. Just the, all God tells us to do is one step at a time. Just be obedient. One step. One step. So how ready are you if Jesus were to come back? Would you have any regrets? Are there things that Jesus has been prompting you to do that you haven't done? Steps of obedience. God, God's not about judging and condemning and all that kind of stuff. God's about obedience. And, and, and he may, you, you may have messed stuff up. You may have messed up your life in so many different ways. But that's okay. God says, today start afresh and anew. There may be consequences of some of those decisions we've made. But God says, take one step. And just follow me. One step. Even if it's a half step. It's better than no steps. Just keep moving forward in obedience to me. And just keep following me. Are you ready? How are you ready if Jesus were to come back? Have you done everything he's called you to do? Just, just, have you been obedient in everything? Take a moment and reflect. Remember how I said that in our world they say pleasure equals life and suffering equals death? And how Jesus has, or Peter kind of flipped it around and talks about suffering equals life and pleasure equals death? Jesus put it a different way. He said this in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, will find it. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, loses their life for me, will find it. Jesus calls us to that. Jesus' life emulated that. He portrayed that. He lived that out completely. And yet, we are trying to equate life with pleasure and pleasure with life. And suffering and obedience, we try to, especially suffering, we just want to ignore it. And yet, God calls us to that. He calls us to that. So I want to just take a few moments and, and review the questions that I asked throughout the message. I'm going to put them on the screen there. Um, I'm gonna, I think we're gonna, the first three are going to be up there. Um, yeah, how have you bought into the lie that pleasure is the way to life? What are you chasing? What are you willing to give up in sacrifice or suffering which will bring about blessing for others? And then, of course, that you don't want to do that without expectation, right? Without a pat on the back. Just do it because God calls you to do it. And then the lastly, are you ready? Last question is, are you ready? How ready are you? Let's pray together. God, we want to take a few moments now and just reflect on those questions. Maybe Thomas put the first three questions back on the screen. Because God... God, as good as, as this message is, as great as a writer Peter is, God, you call us to, to take steps of obedience, one step at a time, to follow you. And God, we, our world is constantly bombarding us with, with pleasure, with just staying away from suffering and not being sacrificial and not giving up our life, but it's all about us because nobody, if nobody doesn't focus on, on us, then we have to. And, and they give us all these good, rational thinking ideas. And yet, God, you call us to a life that is so different than that. You, you'd lived that life that was so different than that. So, God, as we look at these questions, as, as we look at them, review them, What are you calling us to do? Have we bought into the lie? Oh, God, forgive us for that. Help us to rewrite our priorities. God, have we... Are there, are there people that you call us to give towards, to help, to suffer for, to give encouragement for, to do something for that will bless them? God, we bring those names to our mind. Give those actions, those steps you want us to take. And God, help us to, to follow in, that, in those ways. And then lastly, God, help us to, to live like you could call us home at any time. To be ready. We don't understand the future we don't, we, some of the things that have happened in the last two, three years, God, we could have never, ever predicted. We would have never thought they would have happened in our world. And yet they are. Here they are. And we're living in it.
God, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but you do. And it's a good thing you do. So help us just to take one step forward again to be obedient to you. One step at a time. God, we'll give you the praise and the glory. Amen.